Well, welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries. Today we are in Ephesians chapter 5 as we are getting close to the end of a, a wonderful book. Again, I mentioned in the very beginning when I first taught this book that it was one of my favorites of the New Testament uh, because it just, again, covers so much ground. And uh, today we're in chapter 5 and we're going to be covering... Again, a lot of ground in chapter 5. We're going to be seeing a lot of different scenery on this particular tour of this chapter. And uh, chapter 4, again, was, was this is kind of uh, merge into something, if you will, because chapter 4 in the last half had to do with the, being the new man or the new woman while not grieving the Spirit. So when Paul gave that instruction... On, on being a new man or a new woman and not uh, grieving the spirit. Now there comes the aftermath of how does that look like? And so that's what we're really going to view today is that, is, is, is the concept of the full life, the concept of living in the light. And I, I think of things that, you know, again, that people have a mistaken image of God, they have a, a mistaken image of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And, it seems as if, like, ever since that God gave the Ten Commandments, that there has been um, there has been this thought process that, that that God enjoys making people miserable and taking away their happiness by by denying him these denying these earthly pleasures that we just love so much. And what they were was it was to give us something much better. Okay, that that's what it was. It was to give us something better, but we had to we have to clear some room out. Okay, we have to clear room out in our lives for the better things. That means getting rid of uh, of sexual immorality. It, it, it involves getting rid, rid of uh, greed, of lust, of, of hatred, and all the other things that we see in the world that people are suffering from on a daily basis. And so... We're going to see, for the most part, the, the continual emerging, another, another link in the chain of strengthening on how to see this. And, and so it was interesting, I was, looking at, um, I was looking at this little reading thing that kind of goes hand in hand with this. It said something like, suppose you're walking along the beach, and, and you find an old treasure chest, but when you pry it open, it's full of sand, not gold coins. And suppose someone else comes along and offers uh, to give you as much gold as you can fit into the chest. Sounds great, right? But except for one problem, the chest is already full. In order to accept the gold, you'd have to dump out the sand. You'd need to make as much room as possible for the, for the more valuable treasure. Unless you get rid of the sand, the chest will never hold anything of value. And the same goes for the sin in our lives. The sand and the treasure chest. They may provide temporary pleasure, but they won't deliver uh, lasting fulfillment. And how true that is. Right? How true that is. Because what God wants is us to follow His will for our lives. And, and some of us wonder, well, how can we know what God wants us to do? We're looking at it. We see what God wants us to do. He wants us to be like Christ, which is why he came down. He came down to be the role model. Because John said in, his, in the Gospel of John that the Word became flesh. We're reading the Word of God. We observe the Word as he became flesh, as he lived and, 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 and uh, gave the examples of what it was and who he was. The Word became flesh. And... So, again, Paul, Paul is trying to demonstrate that in writing as best as possible here to the church of Ephesus. And, and again, this church of Ephesus was, was 
quite the mirror image of, of the rest of the world, if you think about it. You know, we, we all go through some of these things. I don't care where you're from or what your cultural aspect is. Sin is sin and downfalls are downfalls. And so we all need the same, uh, the same antidote, if you will. We all need the same medication. We all need the same care and exhorting. So we're going to jump right on in, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5, and we're going to do the whole chapter. So let's go ahead and uh, pay close attention here as we divide this up uh, to, to, to get a rich fulfillment of God's word in chapter 5. So uh, in verse 1 through 7 it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as a fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of, of thanks. For this you know... <laughs> That no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So again, it, it is interesting to see how Paul addressed certain areas with this issue of what we just read. Uh, certain areas that Paul planted churches in had particular issues. And I, I mentioned uh, comparisons to the church of uh, Corinth in Greece along the seaport. Well, Ephesus is located in Turkey along the seaport. And they had much of the same type of culture in, in that of uh, debauchery and uh, polytheism, which is the worship of numerous gods. So he, he jumps into the gesturing and filthy language, which was obviously common in these places, because the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language does not have curse words in it. And to my understanding, there's also no words for like uh, the lower extremities uh, either in, in body parts. It is, it is the world's purest language. See, Paul was trying to get them to a point of experiencing that that even though they know the terms, okay, that they, they may know the terms, the slang, and the words, but, but they're transformed internally to not speak or think these things. People ask, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, people ask when coming to the Lord. They ask the question, can I still do this? Can I smoke this? Can I drink this? Can I watch this? Well, the question is, is the, the, the question that should be asked is, how many ask, what can I do to please God, rather than what can I still get away with from the past? But Paul said the same thing to the church of Corinth in verse 4 and 5 about these things. That, that no one will inherit the kingdom of God while willfully practicing these things when we knew it was wrong, yet we didn't care. And I said before that, you know, again, there seems to be a misconception. There seems to be a confusion. People say, well, that was the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. It's called a New Testament, not the New Tolerance. See, God is the same in yesterday, today, and forever, and we saw that through Christ. There was a, It's interesting because just recently... The, um, there is a small church building that I would pass all the time because it's not far from where I live. And um, in, 
I never really gave much thought about the place. I never really saw much ac- action over there or cars parked in the parking lot. Um, but I always got a strange feeling whenever I passed by the building. And I never, ever knew anything about the church until one day um, I was driving by and I was stopped at a light and I saw something on their electronic screen. Uh, and on the electronic sc- screen it questioned or it challenged something about um, uh, did, did that really happen? Did something really happen after the resurrection? And, and there was the question on there: Does the historical Jesus really matter? Something of that sort was was advertised on their on their um, electronic sign. So, out of curiosity, I wasn't sure what to make of it. So I, I looked up the website. <clears throat> And, and I seen what they believe, and I seen what they teach, and then some of the activities that they do are very shocking. And considering the fact that there's children and that go to this church is, is very alarming. So what Paul says is, do not be partakers with them. Okay, Paul says, I, I've said before, the greatest, the greatest present one can have is someone's presence when they are walking with Christ and, and living in truth. But the greatest downfall someone can have is someone's presence that does not walk, live, or walk in the light, but leads you away from God and, and others of light. Influenced typically uh, by popularity or something, or, or, because, it's, it, or because of uh, phony tactics. Very common. It, it doesn't have to always be verbal, but just the wrong presence will do will do just that in order to influence people on getting away from God. Now, Paul is not forbidding uh, being with unbelievers, but he's forbidding of partaking with them in things that lead away from the Lord, and the dangers of such that is attractive to the world. Now, look at what else is said to paint the clearer picture. Because, again, I'm amazed to hear of the past of, uh, of certain people. When I see them now, and, and I hear of the things that they did, I, I just cannot imagine it. Why? Because they have been transformed and they continue to grow in an older age even. So I want to go ahead and uh, take a look here at verse 8 through 14. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But in all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you the light. And I, I know I think I mentioned this again before in the past, of, and I really love this, what I heard. There was this older man in his 70s in a small little church in England, and he attended everything. He attended every class, every gathering. <laughs> everything they had, he was there. He was asked, why do, you, why do you come to every gathering? And he says that I gave my life to the Lord in, in my 70s, and I want to make up for everything that I, never, that I never got to do. And I thought to myself, like, wow, if we only had that mindset, <laughs> you know, no matter what age we are. There, there, is a, there is a controversy nowadays about this in exposing things. 
I have heard preaching about we will know them by their fruit. And when something is done by someone, it will be said we don't want to judge them. Well, if that's the case, then we will know them by their fruit should not be preached. If we're not to call out or expose things that are blatant evil, then then how do we judge them by their fruit, I guess? But, you know, it's interesting because if we go to the store and see rotten fruit on display to be sold to the public, someone would ask, did someone check the fruit before putting it on display? Some may say that, you know, you're comparing uh, edible fruit to living people. Well, how much more important uh, to the people to use as the example? Uh, I've seen rotten fruit on display at the store. And, and I've seen people go ballistic about it. But yet we turn a blind eye to people who are blatantly rotten and allow them to dwell in our midst. You know, I, I love berries. I love berries, but man, do I get angry when I see mold on one because it quickly spreads to others. And the whole batch has to be thrown out. And I look at verse 10. Verse 10 speaks a thousand words. It said, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. We have what's called the Bible. That gives us the insight, okay, the most vast library in one book that has changed the lives of millions and counting to do so. Because the light exposes all things. Paul says the, the dark is when most things, but not all, but most things are done. You may have heard the term uh, women of the night, uh, and that is a typical term for prostitution. But he says, wake from your sleep, he says. It could be like in the form of being in a coma. You're alive and you can hear, you can hear in your sleep, you could talk in your sleep, walk in your sleep, and I have done those things. And, and what's interesting is I don't recall any of it. But somebody else saw me do it, but, you know, and I looked ridiculous when I heard about it, I'm sure, but asleep has also allowed destruction both physically and spiritually speaking. You know, Jesus rebuked the disciples in the garden for falling asleep when they were to be watching and praying. And that goes for all of us because of the dangers that surround us. We need to be watching all things. So let's take a look here at verse 15 to 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Walking in wisdom is a very large emphasis in this book because he mentions walking in many aspects. When you walk, you're moving somewhere into a direction. Walking in faith. Uh, the last chapter Paul mentions walking in unity and now walking in wisdom. Do not be drunk with wine. You know, sp uh, spirits we call them. And uh, I, it's funny, I didn't know what it meant as a kid when I seen it on restaurants. My, my dad told me when I was a kid, and I'll explain that, because I remembered one time we were driving somewhere, uh, and my dad uh, said, what do you want to eat? And um, just, we, so we're trying to figure out where we're going to go. 
And my dad pointed at this restaurant. He's like, do you want to go there? And I'm like, I said, no, I don't want to go in there. It says, you know, it says food, wine, and spirits. I don't want to go in there. It's haunted. And he kind of chuckled. And he said, no, no. He goes, spirits is, is, uh, spirits is like al- alcoholic drinks, he says. And what it was is that we call them spirits because when people drink too much, their, their spirits change. Okay. They, you change their spirits. And, and that is true if you've been in that realm. You know, the Bible says to stay away from strong fermented drink, to stay clear of it. Well, what is fermentation? Ferment, uh, fermented is technically dead fruit. That's how they made alcohol in these days. You, you, you took fermented grapes, uh, they, they took fermented apples, dates, or figs, and they made heavy alcohol out of it. Because now wine was typically fresh pressed grape juice. In, in in the Bible, there there are a few Greek words for types of wine, but especially for that of strong wine. See, people think that that wine was drinking a lot of times by uh, in a lot of things, but it was it was technically uh, pressed grape juice is what it was. You could read in rabbinical readings that. Uh, at certain celebrations, that the wine was supposed to be very little and mostly the majority of it was water in it. You know, they used to, they used to use the strongest wine or alcohol to help aid people in death. Like when, when they offered it to Jesus on the cross, they gave him wine soaked in vinegar, on, or they tried to when he was on the cross. Because Roman soldiers used that particular type of vinegar wine to numb pain so they wouldn't feel it on the battlefield. And you mix that with heavy alcohol content, he refused it. See, Ephesus was, even in ancient times, a party central. The people, the people Paul writes to were probably living in this state of mind of drunkenness when dealing with one another. But now that they walk with Christ, here is how to walk with one another. Speaking to each other in psalms and hymns, uh, making melody in your heart to the Lord. We need to embed this in our minds and our hearts. Because he said to speak to each other in psalms and hymns. Uh, psalms was the hymn book of Israel. It, it was a very important, powerful book in the Bible because the book in its whole was directed toward God. There was no other human influence or relational theology on how does this pertain to me and my life only. Well, the book of Psalms is directed to God. Right there, direct, and just directly to God. And giving thanks to God for all things, and that is hard for some, especially for times of trial. But that is one of the the true tests of one's walk with the Lord, the ability to praise Him through the best and worst of times. This is an instruction of life and worship with one another to to God, and and, and the application to this is what we just read. I, I mentioned before how people say, you will know them by their fruit. Well, here we go. Living by this is the blessing and proof of our walk, giving thanks for all things instead of giving thanks when things are going well only. So submit to one another. Okay, so it doesn't mean to do whatever we say to each other because we can get in trouble. But submit in love, bearing with one another because that is the fruit of the believer and in our walk with Christ. So now the next section is very important in this because now we're dealing with husbands and wives. Verse 22 to 27 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. 
Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of, uh, of water by the word, that he might present her uh, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Paul covers marriage now. And covers a very controversial and at times misunderstood part of scripture. A lot of men read this to their wives and then they shut the Bible. There you have it. Submit to me. We're to meet halfway. And what's interesting is when, when people are being counseled, one of the biggest arguments from the men is that she doesn't respect me. And the biggest argument from the women is he doesn't love me. Now, this covers and conquers all the above. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, not other husbands. And, and Paul speaks more to the husbands on loving their wives uh, m more than addressing the wives in this particular area. Because th this is a command. If Paul were around today to see the divorce rate in Christian communities, it would be a command with a plea. Pleading to follow what is said because marriage was the very first institution that God put together. The relationship that Jesus has with the church is precious. As should relationships with our spouse. It should be the love Christ has for the church. The, the love and respect and the reverence the church has for Christ. It is a perfect picture, picture of what should be in our marriages and our family life. Because the truth be told it is if, if we fail at love, then we fail at life. Because it is the lack of love that has decayed our society, but it doesn't stop there, because let's continue in verse 28 to 33. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is a great mystery, Paul says. And if anything that is simple to put together to help elaborate this section of scripture, is when one, is when one spouse thinks to themselves, that what am I going to get out of this relationship? Well, then there will be a disappointment. But when each spouse says to themselves, what can I do for my wife? What can I do for my husband to love them unconditionally? Now you're in business. See, we are a member of his body, being that of Christ and then with one another. And, and through that, with your spouse, you become one. There's been a thought process of denying this when, when there's been family splits. You know, uh, spouses will leave each other. Uh, they'll fight over children because of the mindset of this is my flesh and blood. It's different with us. Well, one would say to the other, well, that is, uh, you know, that's what they would say to each other. Well, that's different. It's different when it comes to the kids. 
Well, that's a worldly outlook. And it's a false one. Because when you marry someone and you have children, you are, you are one and all whether we like it or disagree with it. If we disagree with it, then we deny what Paul quoted from Genesis in, in the two becoming one flesh. We deny what God said and instituted if we say, I do not agree with it or otherwise. Pay attention to this. And more importantly, follow it. Do what is said because we need people who obey the word of God. We need families. Okay? Spouses fighting for togetherness for the sake of our society. And more importantly, for the sake of obeying and pleasing God. One of the hardest hitting realities that I have spoken is of is when when you look at one another, you must realize that one of you may have to bury the other someday. We cannot afford to live in the flesh of the world and society's outlook. We must do what is said, not just for, for joy, not just for survival, not just to obtain something, but because it's what God wants. But what he wants first and foremost is you. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you and be with you in heaven for all eternity. A place where pain, strife, fear, and death does not exist. What is heaven like, people ask? Well, whatever the greatest places and happiest places here on earth will, uh, are will not compare to, to that of what we're in for in heaven. Many people, what is hell like? Well, whatever the most horrific and the hottest and most sorrowful places on earth are will, will not compare to that of hell. See, we don't want to know what it, what it is like. Uh, so there is a detour. There is a detour away from there if you choose to take it, and that is receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the detour to hell. That will keep you out of there by receiving Christ because now you belong to him. And when you belong to him, you are taking home with him. And when your time is up, then he receives you into his kingdom. But it's a choice that you have to make. God doesn't force anybody... God doesn't force anybody to take him to, to, to receive him. God doesn't force anybody to uh, to go to heaven. He gives you the choice because nobody wants to be loved by uh, by demand, <laughs> nor does God. Even though even though he, he deserves it, but many many people do not love god they blame god for for all the wrongdoings they blame god for this that and the other thing but they don't really belong to god it's very interesting now people might say well gosh if i if i receive him is life going to be perfect no but eternity will be we don't know what every life has in store but he does and that's the key you want to make sure that you are with him for him and going to him. So how do I do that? Some might ask. It's very simple. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross. There was two other thieves next to him. And one of them was really taunting him. 
But then all of a sudden, something came into the other one on the other side of him. Who said, what are we doing? We deserve to be up here, but he doesn't. So then he says, Father, will you, will you, will you remember me when you enter in your kingdom? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. Assuredly, he said. Do you want assurance? Because if you have the same heart as that thief on the cross when he repented, if you have that same, that same mindset and heart of, of repentance, then the Lord is going to say, Assuredly, you will be with me in heaven. Well, the opportunity could be right now if you want to say this prayer after me. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of receiving the Lord. So you just simply pray after me by saying, Dear God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. Please forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would remember me, Lord. That you will receive me, Lord, right now as I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And may I be with you for eternity, Lord, when my time is up. I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for cleansing me of my sins. And I ask of you to come into my heart right now, Lord, as I receive you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, what a joy! I tell you, just it's such a such a joy to uh, to do this, and I uh, it, it's such a joy to know too that if anybody should uh, happen to ever give their lives to God, you know, I'd love to hear from you. But more importantly, if I don't see God's going to hear from you now, you're going to hear from God. So that is what's most important. If I don't ever see or hear from anybody, I'm going to see you up there. And that's the greatest joy. So I pray, as always, that you will continue to grow. That you will continue to walk with Him. Because these are the greatest moments. These are the moments of transformation. These are the moments of of joy, of guidance, of of newness. So take Him now and and, and let let us receive Him. And may we just continue to live the life that he has set aside for us that we might be with him in eternity. So may God bless and keep you.